Hey everyone, I'm Thanos Dabelis, and welcome back to The Greek Current, a podcast by the Hellenic American Leadership Council and Kathy Merini, where we highlight the top stories of the day every afternoon with analysis from guest experts, policymakers, journalists, and health staff. On Wednesday, Turkish President Erdogan traveled to Sochi, Russia, where he met with Russian President Vladimir Putin for nearly three hours. While there was no official readout from either side detailing what was discussed, reports indicate that a number of key issues were on the table, including tensions in Syria, energy, and weapons deals. The meeting came after Erdogan's visit to New York for the UN General Assembly summit, where he did not conceal his dissatisfaction with President Biden or the state of U.S.-Turkish relations, even suggesting that Turkey would buy more Russian S-400s. Nicholas Danforth joins the Greek Current to analyze the latest summit between Erdogan and Putin and look at the balancing act Turkey is trying to play between the United States and Russia. Nicholas Danforth is a non-resident senior fellow at the Hellenic Foundation for European and Foreign Policy, Elia Mep, and the author of the newly published book, the Remaking of Republican Turkey, Memory and Modernity. Nicholas, welcome back on The Greek Current. Thanks. Great to be back here. Nicholas, yesterday, Turkey's President Erdogan met with Russian President Putin in Sochi. There wasn't much of a readout from either side, but what do we know about the agenda of their talks, especially the top issues heading into the meeting? That's a very good point. We have heard even less after this meeting about what was discussed than we usually do after these meetings. We saw a very brief clip of Erdogan and Putin talking about their antibody counts, but very little substantive about the meeting. We know going into it, obviously the situation in Syria was top on the agenda. Certainly talk about that here in a little bit. Russian-Turkish defense ties, Turkey's plans to continue buying S-400 missiles from Russia, other kinds of defense agreements, and also a natural gas purchasing agreement that's going to come to an end at the end of this year. The terms for renewal are up for discussion. You talked about Syria, and it's been reported that the most contentious item between the two capitals is the northwestern Syrian province of Idlib, where the escalation between the Russian-backed Syrian government forces and Turkish-backed rebels is mounting. What's at stake here for Ankara, and what are both sides looking for in Syria? So, right, we've seen a long-running dynamic where the Turkish-backed Syrian rebels that at one point Erdogan hoped were going to overthrow the Assad regime have gradually been pushed back into a smaller and smaller corner of northwestern Syria, along with millions of civilian refugees who are fleeing the brutality of the Assad regime. Over and over again, Turkey and Russia have signed ceasefire agreements to freeze the front lines around Idlib. And time and time again, eventually these agreements have broken down. Russia and the regime have continued pushing and gained new territory over Ankara's objections and then reached a new ceasefire agreement to ratify the Syrian regime's gains. This happened again in March of 2020, right before the start of the pandemic, with another push by the Syrian army. This time, more than before, you know, territory left for Turkish-backed forces was getting smaller. Anti-refugee sentiment in Turkey is getting much higher. Uh, This is becoming a political liability for Erdogan. So since the regime advances in March, Turkey has actually taken a slightly more aggressive stance. What happened in March of 2020 was that basically Turkey was supporting the rebels against Syrian forces. The Russian government started bombing. Turkish soldiers killed over 30 of them. Turkey then retaliated against Syrian forces using its drones. But in spite of this, Erdogan then went to Moscow, reached an agreement with Putin that again accepted the regime's gains. To try to keep this from happening again, though, Erdogan subsequently sent thousands of Turkish troops into Idlib 
you know, to try to prevent the regime from further advances. This again held the situation was relatively quiet until this past month when there were more regime and Russian Air Force bombing, uh, artillery attacks, troop movements, targeting rebels in Idlib. Turkey sent even more troops into the region, a couple thousand more Turkish soldiers. And that was the very tense backdrop going into the uh, Sochi meeting yesterday. Do you think that Putin will be willing to meet Erdogan on any of the issues related to Syria? And that was the big question. I mean, going into it again, Turkey was clearly trying to change this dynamic. It wasn't at all clear that Moscow was willing to let Turkey change the dynamic. It seems to think that it can continue to, you know, at least get up to the M4 highway, take another small chunk of Idlib to consolidate the regime's position. Again, we don't quite know what came out of the meeting, but given some of the statements Erdogan made about continuing defense cooperation with Russia, it seems like what Putin may have agreed to uh, lay off on Idlib, give Erdogan more time there, and, you know, in return for Erdogan going ahead with the second part of this S-400 air defense missile purchase, and in return for broader agreements about Russian-Turkish defense cooperation, which are going to continue to deepen the divide between Ankara and Washington, uh, improve Russian-Turkish ties, and ultimately, I would argue, leave Turkey you know, more defenseless in the face of Russian pressure going forward. You brought up a natural gas deal, um, and energy was also at the top of the agenda, especially as gas prices have skyrocketed across Europe, and Turkey's not immune to these price increases. Russia's also building a nuclear power plant in Turkey. Based on you know what we know, can you briefly touch on how energy may have featured in yesterday's conversation? So, and again, we haven't heard any details so far about you know what might have even been discussed in connection with Turkish natural gas purchases. You know, but look, I mean, the challenge for Erdogan on all these fronts is that Turkey, by and large, ultimately it has a weaker military hand in Idlib. It's alienated from the United States, unable to purchase, you know, it's thrown out of the purchasing agreement or its co-production agreement for the F-35 fighter jet. Turkey is now increasingly looking towards Russia for military purchases. And again, on energy, I mean, Turkey is a consumer. Turkey buys Russian natural gas. As someone put it, Turkey sends tomatoes to Russia buys hydrocarbons in return. This puts Turkey in a weak position on all fronts, unfortunately. The Erdogan-Putin meeting came on the heels of Erdogan's visit to the United States last week for the UN General Assembly Summit, which resulted in disappointment for the Turkish leader as he didn't get a meeting with President Biden. Erdogan did not conceal his dissatisfaction with Biden or the state of U.S.-Turkish relations. And as you mentioned, he brought up the issue that he will be moving ahead with a second purchase of S-400s that could cause further rupture in the U.S.-Turkish relationship. What impact do you think that this had on Erdogan's bargaining position vis-a-vis Putin? And that's exactly the problem, that Turkey has very much touted its ability, Erdogan in particular has touted its ability to play Russia and the United States off against each other to pursue an independent foreign policy instead of being beholden to the United States, as Erdogan claims Turkey was before, but also, you know, very much insisting that Turkey doesn't want to move into the Russian camp, doesn't want to abandon America for Russia, but wants to be able to, you know, again, in the eyes of Turkish strategists, play both countries off each other to get the maximum possible benefits. The risk, right, as you say, is that as Turkey's relationship with Washington breaks down as Turkey is increasingly estranged from the United States, that actually weakens Turkey's hand dealing with Russia, puts Turkey in the position 
you know, where again, in order to achieve a short-term interest in Idlib, it reaches broader defense deals. You know, now Erdogan's talking about co-producing space technology, uh, working with Russia on submarine development. You know, I'm not holding our breath for any of these things, but you know, on something like the second batch of S-400 purchases, were Turkey to go ahead with them, it would result in further American sanctions. There are already casts of sanctions in response to the first S-400 purchase. You know, again, further breaking down the U.S.-Turkish relationship and therefore leaving Turkey more beholden to Putin. So, I mean, in retrospect, it's a mystery, you know, when Biden was elected, there was this brief window where people in Ankara were talking about how there could be a reset in U.S.-Turkish ties. I think they thought that Biden might eventually come around to Turkey, that Biden might be too worried about losing Turkey to Russia to continue taking a hard line on the Erdogan government. So far, Biden played it cool. He clearly isn't out to get Erdogan. He's not, you know, interested in making trouble for Turkey. But at the same time, you know, we've seen critical statements on the Turkish human rights situation. Biden pointedly declined to meet with Erdogan when he was in town for the UN General Assembly. So, you know, I don't know. I think Erdogan might have really thought that Biden would come around. I think he might have really thought that Turkey was so important to the United States that at the end of the day, for all Biden's personal dislike, Biden would realize he had to deal with Erdogan. You know, I think that was an unrealistic assumption. And when that didn't actually happen, I think that created a little bit of the disappointment that you see now and a little bit of some of the anti-American pro-Russian posturing that Erdogan was playing up in advance of his meeting with Putin. I want to get into the relationship between Erdogan and Putin and look at it a little bit closer. In a recent piece in Al Monitor, in which you were quoted, Nicholas, journalist Amberin Zaman notes that the relationship between the two leaders may have cooled off. And in her piece, she points out that Erdogan and Putin spoke four times over the phone in February and 23 times in 2020, but have only spoken nine times since Erdogan traveled to Moscow in March to sign a deal over Idlib in Syria. Are we, in fact, seeing this relationship cool off? Well, I think, again, some people exaggerated how close it ever was. You know, and this gets to the Russian-Turkish relationship more broadly. It is a complicated one. You know, I think we do sometimes see overly simplistic, oh, you know, Ankara is leaving America for Russia as if this is going to be their new NATO. It's never been like that. Erdogan, I think, understands that Russia does not have Turkey's best interests in heart. Putin, to his credit, has made that fairly clear time and time again. I think more than anything, more than a real closeness, more than any sense of kind of deeper alliance, both Russia and Turkey, both Erdogan and Putin, do share a certain hostility, concern towards the West, you know, a kind of general anti-American orientation. They're eager to cooperate in situations when it can limit or weaken Western influence in their region. And I think that broad orientation makes it possible for them to collaborate even in situations where their short-term interests come up against each other. I also think, and this you know, shouldn't be overlooked, a lot of the stuff Erdogan says about thinking America was behind Turkey's 2016 coup attempt, thinking America is conspiring to undermine his government and to destroy Turkey. I mean, he believes that stuff. And with the relationship with Russia and with Putin, part of it, I would argue, is that you know, again, Erdogan knows that Putin doesn't wish Turkey as a whole well, 
But I don't think Erdogan sees Putin as trying to undermine him personally, overthrow him even, in the same way that he worries Washington might be. And that makes it possible for the two countries to compartmentalize their differences in the ways that they have and in the ways that it's getting increasingly difficult for Turkey and the United States to do. Nicholas, the meeting between both leaders ended without a briefing for journalists. And that's led some experts to conclude that Erdogan was leaving empty-handed from his meeting with Putin in Sochi. Do you think that this is the case? Right. So we've seen a few select comments and leaks on the Turkish side. We saw Turkish officials say off the record that they'd agreed to maintain the status quo in Idlib, which again, it would take with a grain of salt. You know, And then we've seen Erdogan making statements about the you know, remarkable new potential for weapons cooperation with Moscow. But yeah, I mean, the fact that they did this without a press conference, the fact that there haven't been more specific details, you know, the fact that the status quo in Idlib is so up for grabs right now. I mean, you know, again, the status quo for the last year and a half has been a particular set of borders, but the status quo for the last couple of weeks has actually been sustained Russian regime bombardment of Turkish-held territory. So yeah, absent more detail on that, absent more specific statements, I think it's very hard to know what happened. I want to wrap up with a look at a development that took place this week, and that's the hearing in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee for Jeff Flake, President Biden's nominee to be the next U.S. ambassador to Turkey. During the hearing, senators brought up Erdogan's interview with CBS, where he had stated that Turkey would purchase additional S-400s and raised questions about human rights. What should we expect moving forward? Should he be appointed? Does Jeff Flake have his work cut out for him? Yes, definitely. I mean, already, Turkey went through the first round of S-400 purchases, maybe not fully knowing that it was going to lead to the sanctions that it did. And, you know, again, with the Trump regime and the games Trump played over this, maybe there was some reason for Erdogan to be optimistic that he could get away with the first round of purchases without sanctions. You know, I think there's still hope that despite what's been said at this meeting, maybe Erdogan won't double down and go ahead with the second batch. But, you know, the fact that he's talking about it so seriously now on the fact that we've gotten nowhere with warehousing the original batch, definitely that means that this issue is only going to get worse and that our new ambassador will have his work cut out for him. I would also say just because, you know, while the subjects come up, what's been a little disappointing, and this was confirmed in Erdogan's interview, rhetorically, Biden has been good about human rights and about the importance of pushing human rights uh, in the relationship with Turkey. Certainly compared to Trump, Biden's State Department has been more forward in calling out Erdogan and the Turkish government when it continues to violate its citizens' human rights. It was disappointing to find out that in the personal meeting that Erdogan and Biden had last summer. Biden didn't bring up human rights even privately. Erdogan confirmed this in his CBS interview. You know, it's not a huge surprise. At the end of the day, 70 years on, human rights have never been central to the U.S.-Turkish relationship. I think despite Biden's rhetoric, no one really expected he was going to change that. But at the end of the day, for all of, all of us who actually care about the human rights situation in Turkey, it continues to be a little disappointing. Nicholas, thanks for joining us on The Greek Current again. Great speaking with you. Thank you. In other news, negotiations between Athens and Washington on the updating of the Mutual Defense and Cooperation Agreement, or the MDCA, are entering an intensive phase, with the United States now saying that the agreement could be extended indefinitely. Kathy Marini reports that the reference to an indefinite extension by a State Department spokesperson surprised officials in Athens, who were under the impression that there were two alternatives, either an annual extension of the agreement as is, or a five-year extension, with new clauses added. 
In any case, talks are ongoing and are still not conclusive. A breakthrough is expected when Foreign Minister Dendias visits Washington, D.C. on October 14th to meet Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Finally, on Thursday, the State Department said it was renewing the partial waiver on the arms embargo on Cyprus for one more year. Commenting on the extension, Cyprus's Foreign Minister Nikos Christodoulidis said today's decision of the United States for renewal of the partial waiver of restrictions vis-à-vis Cyprus for another fiscal year constitutes a step in the right direction toward the full lifting of restrictions, reflecting the growing geostrategic importance of U.S.-Cyprus relations. Halk welcomed the move, tweeting that this is another indication of the continued improvement in the U.S.-Cyprus diplomatic and security relationship and another byproduct of the Eastern Mediterranean Security and Energy Partnership Act. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.